2: The Washington Post did a really good bit of reporting for all of their liberal excesses. They're still one of the great newspapers in our land. Um, And they did a review of bidding documents and contracts for over 300 Chinese government software projects since the beginning of 2020. They did a detailed study of what sort of software is China trying to buy and what are they doing with it? Um, and and this I just found this really interesting. Uh, it'll we'll get more troubling as we go, but um, they have ordered all sorts of software designed to collect data on foreign targets from Twitter, Facebook, and other Western social media. They're primarily. Interested in their domestic Internet users and media, but they've also tried to learn absolutely every single thing they can about every single person online on Earth. Um, the documents publicly accessible also show the agencies, including state media, propaganda departments, police, military, cyber regulators, are purchasing new or more sophisticated systems to gather data. Um, I don't, I, I don't uh, want to minimize
4: this at all, but I, I don't completely understand. So I remember that story that came out last year about how China has a, um, a file on every man, woman, and child in America. Mm hmm. Um, because of all this information that you're just talking about, what are they going to do with it? Or, Or do they have the manpower to turn that into anything? Or do you just wait in case you need it for
2: somebody? I, I think it's mostly that last one, but I guarantee you that there are contingency plans or purposes that exist oh, yeah. for that data, and they're just waiting to use them.
4: Oh, yeah, I'm not that imaginative, and, and they are, so. but it is, it is amazingly troubling. I'm sure that's never happened in the history of the world. It wouldn't have been possible where your enemy, the country that's an enemy of your country,
2: has a dossier on, a dossier on every human being in your country. It, they absolutely do on uh, journalists, academics, uh, military leaders, uh, soldiers, sailors, marines, um, and uh, and political figures, um, which I think is really interesting. Now, a lot of what they're doing is to oppress the Uyghurs, for instance, but the, I suppose the, it's the Western-looking stuff that's most interesting to us. Um Oh, and the other thing is they also are very, very active on social media, putting out information. We talked about that a little bit last week, that when, as the Olympics are about to begin, I guess they're about two weeks away, uh, the Winter Olympics in Beijing, which still disgusts me, you will see positive stuff online about the Olympics and the Chinese athletes and the fact that the Olympic Games are going forward. Those may well be employees of, of the Chinese government. Uh, which another, is
4: just smart, really.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're just doing PR like every company in the world does PR. Uh, Secondly, China is expanding a network of more than 95 port facilities around the world and is working to establish a system of overseas military bases that analysts say will support Xi Jinping's announced ambition for global dominance. The port network is part of the Belt and Road Initiative. We've talked about this for a long time. A multi-trillion dollar infrastructure and development program that Beijing has been pushing for nearly a decade. Trying to cement their status as an economic superpower and win support in the developing world for China's brand of communism. Partly by hooking these poor, smaller countries on the dope of Chinese money to build roads and ports and the rest of it and and by the way you can have this at two percent interest all this money no worries we're your chinese friends but then when the port doesn't uh, doesn't generate nearly the income china said it would then all of a sudden you've got the loan shark saying you know what i'm not gonna bust your legs i'm not gonna break your knees if you just go along with this little plan they're they're mobsters
4: plus they're installing all the infrastructure Like, so it's all their computer programming and automation and everything like that, which they can shut down whenever they decide they
2: want to. Right, right. And I kind of want to go big on this tomorrow and talk about it in more detail, but there's something else that's kind of stuck in my craw. And I don't want to come off as that like knee jerk anti expert feeling that's become kind of common these days. I mean, because I'm not that exactly. But in continuing to read Michael Pillsbury's excellent The 100-Year Marathon about China, having been intent on world domination now for decades and decades and utterly duping the naive Soviet-obsessed United States into giving them everything they want to become the world superpower in the name of, again, resisting the Soviets or whatever, one thing that really strikes me about that book, because Pillsbury... And we've talked about this before. He was a big-time advocate, maybe the big-time advocate for China is liberalizing. If we're just their buddy, they'll become an ally and a friend. Their economy will open up. They'll reform politically. This is good stuff. Let's help China. They're going to become a buddy. Well, now he's realized after several decades, and he says this in the book, I was completely wrong I was the opposite of right. This is terrible. God help us all. Okay, Don't trust China. So that's the tone of the book. And Jack's read it too. What really struck me as I was reading it last night is the number of people who were trying to tell him that, trying to tell presidents that, just trying to to say, wait a minute, here's what they're really doing. But the experts... All the PhDs were already in the Let's Build Bridges to China camp, or they were in the China Hawk camp. And once they choose their positions, they spend their entire day, their entire career trying to prove that they're right. And they no longer take in data and information with an open mind and an open heart and try to figure out, like every single day, try to re-figure out, okay, what's really happening? No, once they establish which side they're on, they spend all their time, energy, and grant money trying to prove that that position is right, no matter what the evidence is. And it reminds me of that study. I was trying to remember, Jack. Was that a book we read? or I can't remember. The point of it was, if you get... A, a group of reasonably intelligent, curious mm. non-experts together, laymen, to study a problem, they will come up with more accurate conclusions in general than experts will, because they don't cling to their preconceptions.
4: Yeah, that's really interesting. I remember talking about that, and and doesn't surprise me really.
2: Um, I, I mean, well, that's it's... practically the main theme of the book. Once you once it dawns on you. What do you mean you ignored when when a Chinese dissident came to you and spelled out precisely what was going? Well, these people have spent their career trying to convince Nixon, then Ford, then Carter, then Reagan, then George H.W. Bush, that X, Y, Z was true. And if some Chinese dissident comes and says, excuse me, that's not true. You got too much at stake. You can't listen to them.
4: It reminds me of the Orwell quote that I try to think about a lot for my own personal life. If damned if else. you do, damned if you don't. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, the hardest thing for anybody to do is is to see what is right before one's nose, and that just seems to be a human thing. We have. It's a microphone, by the way. Look at it. We right have a I- nose. We have ideas about the world. We have ideas about our relationships. We have ideas about the economy. We have ideas about our kids. We have all these ideas. We've come up with and it's very difficult to recognize information that doesn't fit with that and process it for some reason
2: it's hard it's extremely hard to admit you've been wrong
4: our our brains aren't set up for that for some reason it's got to be an anthropological survival thing maybe we'd spend too much doubt time doubting ourselves if we didn't just right pick a pick an idea and go with it maybe you just sit around wondering on the other hand the next thing you know you're run over by by
2: the tribe next door. All right. Uh let me uh, you know what let me finish that thought. It's it's extremely difficult to admit you're wrong. It's even more difficult to admit you're wrong about something important. Mm. And it's extremely difficult, extremely difficult to admit you've been wrong about something important for a very long time and have fought against those who are right. It takes Oh, uh, yeah. Either a towering example of courage and character, and I don't know if Pillsbury is or not, or it takes somebody who has been so completely convinced they were dead wrong that they don't feel like they have any choice. Um, But that's why I think the book is so valuable. Well, it's valuable on a lot of levels, like we've been talking about. China is bent. Every single day on world domination. Just remember that. I always think about that quote
4: from FBI Director Ray. China Damned has. A if you ho-
2: do, no different quote. I'm sorry.
4: China is
5: asshole. That's not either. China
2: is a hole.
4: China has a whole of society goal of dominating the planet. Everybody in
2: every sector of their country. That's that's their goal every day. Correct, including the common man. Yeah. They've been re-educated from the time they were children, the current generation, to believe that the U.S. has spent the last 50 years exploiting and abusing China, and it's time to give the U.S. their comeuppance, even though we led them out of their freaking cradle of backward third-worldiness, out of naivete and obsession with the Soviet Union. Damn it. And now, 90%
4: of the gorillas in the Atlanta Zoo have COVID. So where <laughs> See, are what we? <laughs> See what you get? See what you get?
2: This Whoops. is Joe Biden's America.
3: Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. 297 Depression. The Armstrong and Getty show.
2: But when I go to my doctor's office, Jack, I'll present them with a please don't weigh me card. For many people, he says, switching to the text of the article, where is this from? And
4: using his oh. compassionate voice, Hmm? And using your compassionate voice. For many people,
2: regardless of size, stepping on the scale at the doctor's office can be a triggering, harmful experience. This is already moronic. (laughs) Please don't weigh me. Cards may offer a solution.
4: I can't take it. I can't let you get through this. I can't take it.
2: <laughs> the number, number one, one we health, need to ban the word trigger.
4: The number one triggering. The number one health problem we have in America. I was gonna say outside of COVID, but actually it fits in with COVID since vastly more people are dying who are obese. It's a terrible thing for COVID. The Absolutely. One, the number one health problem we have in America is obesity. When you're at the doctor where health and you butt up against each other, you want to eliminate weight from the conversation. Okay, well that makes no sense.
2: Oh, Jack, 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 you don't understand what a triggering, harmful experience it can be. It's
4: like taking my car to Jiffy Lube. One thing I do not want to talk about is oil changes. We're not going to discuss that.
2: <laughs> that's, uh, that's going to hinder things, sir. The cards, which are gaining a ton of online attention, were created by morelove.org, an online resource created to help parents raise, quote, kids who are free from body hate, disordered eating, and eating disorders. Disordered eating and eating disorders and redundancy. (laughs) Raise kids free from redundancy and who don't repeat things unnecessarily. And redundancy-free kids. They're they're a subtle way to send a strong message to medical staff. And I quote, please don't weigh me unless it's really medically necessary. If you really need my weight, please tell me why so that I can give you my informed consent. You really need it and for obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. Being weighed, particularly in front of someone else, is rarely a pleasant experience. Thanks to a culture of relentless weight stigma and unrealistic body expectations. Boy, these uh, we we have become a nation of veal calves. We absolutely have. We don't we have unrealistic one. body expectations.
4: We have unrealistic body. Um, um, uh, I don't know what the right word would be. Um, acceptance. I think we have an unrealistic body acceptance. We're accepting being way overweight. Include myself of, in this of ourselves. Yeah.
2: I have no, your weight is not my business unless, you know, we get into socialized medicine and I'm paying for everything that goes wrong with you or me. Hell, I'm overweight. I ought to lose 30 pounds. I never will, but I should. Um, it's a fundamental aspect of health. I mean, obviously. And here's a hint for you. I know this because I'm the guy who makes jokes when they weigh me at the doctor's office. I'll say I shouldn't have wore my 20-pound pants today. <laughs> that sort of thing.
4: That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I'll use that one next time. Of course, if she's under 30, she'll look at me like, okay, old man, you're scaring me. Are
2: you coming on to me, or are you crazy? Or both? No. So here's here's the hint. Nobody gives a flying F at the doctor's office among the check-you-in-and-ask-you-what-you're-there-for crowd, what you you weigh.
4: Have you ever looked into the dead eyes of the woman with the clipboard? She's not that (laughs) interested in what you
2: weigh. Well, and she's no gazelle herself, All right? Generally speaking. The number of really hefty people working in medicine is well, it shouldn't be shocking because everybody's chunky in America. Yeah, the number of hefty people doing freaking everything. Right, exactly. On the other hand, Jack, because we live in a -a fatophobic society being being weighed. We don't. We're the opposite. Would you stop interrupting me, please? You're triggering me. (laughs) Because we live in a -a fatophobic society, being weighed and talking about weight causes feelings of stress and shame. Many people feel anxiety about seeing the doctor and will avoid going to the doctor in order to avoid the scale.
4: Yeah, well, I've I've known people who did that because they don't want to have the doctor tell them, look, you got to lose some weight. That's your number one thing, and you don't want to hear it. It's like, you know, one of the reasons I'm not going to the dentist is because I've been so long that I don't really want the dentist to tell me all the problems I got and how I need to go to the dentist more often. So I've been putting it off. I know it's stupid, but I know people do that with their weight also.
2: Everybody, call your mom. She misses you, your dad, and make an appointment at the dentist. It's just good for your health. Anyway, ah, uh, you know what we need to do, and this can be done very gently. You know, sometimes I'm slightly less than gentle with my words. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But whether it's Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation begging Scott Gottlieb, when will my toddler be able to get a vaccine? I mean, she's obviously so worried. She's obsessed with her kid not getting COVID-19. We need to get better at this country in pointing out, look, you seem like a nice person. But that's an irrational fear. There's no scientific basis for that fear. You need to think carefully. You need to do some research. You need to get over it. You're not serving yourself by running from a non-existent demon. Somebody's got to say to somebody who's triggered by getting weight at the doctor's office, look, all they care about is if you've gained or lost a lot of weight. Nobody there cares that you're a little overweight, okay? Nobody does. Half of them are. And it's a good thing to keep track of your weight, Okay? And, and, and to act like you're being judged or hated or whatever is just, it's irrational. And anybody doing that's an a-hole anyway. Now, they say there's anti-fat bias in medicine, uh, leads providers to misdiagnose patients in larger bodies, and misattribute symptoms to size instead of true underlying conditions. If that's true, that's an interesting sure. medical uh, you know conundrum that they need to solve. It doesn't
4: really have anything to do with refusing to be weighed at the doctor's office yeah
0: yeah what an
4: interesting society
6: Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com/news. That's lifelock.com/news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
2: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And I the, the
3: Armstrong and Getty show. Uh-huh.
2: So a story of note here, and coming up in just a moment, one of the best, most detailed takedowns of the federal student loan thing I've heard. I kind of like it because it backs up what I've been saying for a long time, but uh, it's a guy who uses fancy words and he writes complete sentences, so it's very persuasive. University of Michigan, one of the great elite universities of our land, to the extent that you accept the idea of an elite university at all, uh, just fired. Well, I'm sorry. Their their university president quit. Essentially, Mark Schlissel is the guy's name. He'd been uh, making sweet love to a subordinate. Apparently, been sending her you know articles, sexy articles, and talking about travel plans. And uh, my heart hurts. I miss you. Blah blah blah. Did, she, was, uh... did she seem to be a willing participant? Oh yeah, hundred percent.
4: Yeah. See, I don't. I don't. I'm not into the whole. You're, it's automatically a crime if there's a. Uh what do they call it, uh, imbalance of power?
2: Right, right. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you
4: completely. How many, how many marriages or relationships have started throughout history with people that weren't exactly
2: on the same level ending up dating at work? Right. And that's, it. you know, I appreciate you saying exactly at the same level because in most organizations, I mean, you could arguably say, well, okay, the assistant director of regional sales is technically below the plant manager's special liaison for international markets. And even though they're like, what? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And depending on the organization, it could be that crazy and strict. Well, the irony is this guy, Schlissel, played a direct role in implementing the very rules that caused his removal. Last July, Board of Regents meeting, he said there will be zero tolerance, one of our favorite phrases, for someone in a leadership position to solicit a personal or romantic relationship with someone they have supervising the authority over, or career influence over. That's exceptionally important because of the power dynamic, he said at the meeting. Meanwhile, he's got a lover who's a subordinate. So is another
4: one of those, I don't actually believe this crap sort of things? Hard to say.
2: I don't know. But so this guy has been forced to resign. Here's the punchline I promised you. Now, I've never been a university president. I don't know how much is involved. Even at the School of Hard Knocks? I think you'd, uh, I was barely a dean. Um, I, I think, you know, you show up, the professors show up, everybody teaches classes. Once in a while, you got to deal with them. His base salary, base salary, $927,000 a year. Whoa! Holy crap! And then, and that, that's, a, that's a
4: completely different salary, by the way, if you're going to get a pension for the rest of your life, which I'm sure he is.
2: Yeah. Yeah, wow, 900 Plus, I'll bet he gets housing and a car Oh yeah, travel allowance and all sorts of stuff and like of that,
4: that. Apparently, all the ho- ho- hot
2: underlings you can have the energy for. <laughs> apparently so, yeah. It's a good gig if you can get it. So the fact that he makes easily with uh, benefits and, and, and uh, the rest of the uh, spiffs we are talking about, easily a million dollars a year or more, factors into the next story. And it is a great piece I came across from Neil McCluskey, who uh, is a Cato guy, or he was. I, I'm not sure if he's with him anymore. But anyway, he writes, when I began working at the Cato Institute many moons ago, my focus was on elementary and secondary education. Early on, I came across a report titled The College Cost Crisis from the U.S. Committee on Education and the Workforce. The author seemed exasperated that federal student aid never caught up with skyrocketing college prices. Both kept rising. I thought the likely, re- in other words, the, uh, the federal student aid was always chasing the cost of education, which rose faster. But as I pursued this possibility further, I was informed, not always politely, that this had been, oh, I'm sorry. I thought the likely reason was pretty obvious. Aid enables colleges to raise those prices. But as I pursued this possibility further, I was informed, not always politely, that this has been disproven long ago. What? Pouring money into a market does not distort it. And how dare you bring it up? That's hilarious. It turned out that, no, this has not been disproven. In fact, there is substantial empirical evidence that federal student aid fuels the ivory tower's infamous price inflation, including roughly a doubling in inflation adjusted terms of sticker prices between 1991 and 2021. Doubled. 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 It also makes logical sense. If you give loads of people easy money to pay for one thing, the price of that thing will rise as people demand more of it and with greater bells and whistles. Now, he doesn't get into this quite as specifically as I would like, but I appreciate the bells and whistles thing. Here's the situation. I I say this having sent three kids through uh, university education, college slash university, quite recently. You have, for instance, uh, uh, affluent kids and foreign nationals, particularly Chinese nationals, who are paying the full full cost, or damn near it, the sticker price, which is so freaking high, you got to be rich to afford it, right? And then you have a bunch of uh, more middle class, working class, even upper middle class kids who are getting subsidies, getting aid, getting federal student loans, stuff like that. So they don't pay that giant rate. But wait a minute. They kind of do. They just get a lot of help. And, yeah, there are some schools that will cut the cost for various people and all. But a lot of it uh, totals up to that super high cost. How do you justify that super high cost to the foreign nationals and the affluent people? Well, you have great dorms with great food you got fabulous gyms. Yeah. I
4: remember when USA Today featured my local college and its dorms, which are like five-star hotels, they said. I've oh, never yeah. been inside them, but they look like it from the outside.
2: Or just really nice apartments. Well, anyway, so you elevate it. You elevate the, the living experience or the luxury of the damn thing <laughs> to a- get those full boat payers satisfied and to attract them to your college. But then... The poorer kids are paying that nut too eventually, one way or the other. Somebody's paying it. Right. So it's like because of Chinese people and rich people, the only thing there is is Bentleys. But we have giant subsidies for Bentleys.
4: What a hilarious vision to put in people's head of what life is going to be like. Oh, yeah. You get out of high school, you go to college and stay in a five star hotel and eat at a. Uh, you know, eat in a lunch plan, because I'm familiar with this, too, at a different university with us, someone I know. Um, uh, they got the, uh, there, there are different levels of lunch plans or whatever. And meal they got, plans, they, yeah. they got the, the high dollar one, and it's just unbelievable. So between the dorm and the meal plan, you're there's no way, unless you're a neurosurgeon or something, that you're going to live that lifestyle when you get out of college.
2: Right, right. So this piece goes on. Unfortunately, statistical analyses and logic are abstract. They feel like ones and zeros more than people doing real things. Moving away from abstractions is where Debt Trap by Wall Street Journal reporter Josh Mitchell provides an immensely valuable service. It chronicles flesh and blood people driven by combinations of good intentions and self-interest creating and expanding federal student loan programs and shows how those programs have distorted higher education and for too many people rendered it financially crippling. He lays out in his book chronologically ordered chapters that lead with human interest anecdotes, student debtors, federal lending entrepreneurs uh, that make it easy to comprehend the evolution of federal lending. Listen to this, which is is so great. From student aid champion President Lyndon Johnson's difficulties, paying for his own education, uh, he takes it to the present day. Um, Mitchell reveals that people have seen the problem with Rampant federal aid and loans and the in the skyrocketing college prices since day one after Washington first created a program giving colleges money to lend to students when Russia put Sputnik in the air and we panicked we we're like holy crap we're falling behind the Soviet Union we got to get more people college educations more scientists more research we got to we got to brain up right so after they created that in 1957, the Eisenhower, Eisenhower administration, quote, suspected schools are inflating their needs, asking for roughly double the amount the feds had projected. Immediately, as soon as federal funds were injected, uh, prices started to skyrocket. It's not surprising. Skyrocket. Moving to the present day, the problem is still clear. Mitchell talks to Al Lord, twice head of the federally created Student Loan Marketing Association, better known as Sally May, who, looking back on his career and his grandkids' current t- tuition bills, sees the problem. He considers colleges greedy, writes Mitchell, the author, charging exorbitant amounts while building up huge endowments to pay professors to work fewer hours and to const... To a- tracked high-dollar students, and he grudgingly, this is the Sally May guy, grudgingly acknowledged the education establishment had a dependence on government largesse. Now, we're running super short on time. There's more to this, but it's pretty powerful. We'll have the link for you at armstrongandgetty.com. And not the least bit surprising. It's just... Well, it's really the most basic of Sure.
4: It seems as simple as 2 plus 2 equals 4 in terms of just the logic of it. How can what do you get tonight? at
2: garage sales? Use toasters, Use toasters. It's one of the things you see at garage sales. If you start, you go garage selling on a Saturday morning. You own your sweetheart, maybe. I haven't done this in ages. I should, although I don't need more junk. You need less junk. Um, <laughs> and every garage sale had a representative of the federal government who said, "Listen." We have a program for buying used toasters. I will give you a hundred dollars at a very, very low interest rate, so you can make sure you get the toaster you want. The price of used toasters would skyrocket. Please, you got two people with fists full of government cash bidding on a used toaster at a garage sale. What do you think is going to happen to that price? It is. It's, I mean, it's. It's. I, I. I'm insulting your intelligence by even explaining it, and yet for some reason we can't grasp that in in college.
4: I'm Jack Armstrong, he's Joe Getty, we're the Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: Are you tired of gulping down the lying filth of the mainstream media? Yeah, we are too. We try to tell you the truth every single day. Gulping down lying filth.
4: Wow. Nobody wants to sound dumb. Our goal is to help you not sound dumb. We'll inform you, and it'll be fun at the same time. You have to choose between entertainment and information. Combine them both with the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty On Demand, four episodes
2: available every day via the iHeartRadio app or wherever you download your podcasts. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. But resist,
3: we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
4: A Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci have been battling anytime Fauci comes to the Senate now for two years.
5: <laughs> and right.
4: So we'll start with this and go from there.
5: Do you think it's a great success what's happened so far? Do you think lockdowns are good for our kids? Do you think we slowed down the death rate? More people have died now under President Biden than did under President Trump. You are the one responsible, you are the architect, you are the lead architect for the response from the government. And now 800,000 people have died. Do you think it's a a winning success what you've advocated for government? Um, Senator, first of all, if you look at everything that I said, you accuse me of in a monolithic way, Telling people what they need to do. Everything that I have said has been in support of the CDC guidelines. Wear a mask, get boosted. And you've advocated get to make it coercive take, and done it. You've advocated that, that it be done by mandate. Right. You have advocated that your infallible opinion be dictated by law. Right. So, again, Madam Chair, I would like just a couple of minutes, because right. this, this happens all the time. You personally attack me, and with absolutely not a shred of evidence of anything you say. So I would like to make something clear to the committee. He's doing this for political reasons. What you need to do... Is he said in front of this committee... Do you think your takedown that, of three was, prominent was, epidemiologists was it, not political? You, you don't want me that to finish, you know what I'm going to say. Senator, that was the question. Senator, Were you political we in taking this, down these three point, prominent
3: MDB epidemiologists? Senator Paul, if you would please...
4: Oh, boy. But, but I get Rand Paul's question, though, I think. Are there any government officials that are willing to say, you know, this has really been a disaster? Does everybody feel like, no, this is best-case scenario. We handled it in such a way that this is best-case scenario. I don't think so. We had 800,000 people dead. We got more kids killing themselves than' ever happened in the history of youth in the world.
2: Just saw the headline that Washington State has had far more deaths of despair than COVID deaths because of, and you know, I tweeted at Brett Baer last night, and I feel this from a ticker. I tweeted, uh, "You have a I asked, human ticker,
4: not a pig ticker.
2: For now. I don't know the, the pig parts are I'm warm into the idea. Uh, anyway, I tweeted, uh, I asked Brett Bear with respect, please, instead of saying children have been damaged by the pandemic, say by the government policies during, enacted during the pandemic. There's an enormous difference. And just to illustrate it, if Michigan, for instance, began executing anyone who refused the vaccine, you wouldn't say they died from the pandemic. You'd say they died because of the policy. And that's an intentionally extreme example. But the policy of closing the schools is what has damaged the children, not the existence of COVID-19. And I wish we could discuss that a little more honestly.
4: I mentioned last week uh, economist Scott Linsicum, who I read fairly often, he is a Cato guy and a libertarian. And he was for all the government intervention in the beginning. He thought this is an extreme example where the government needs to get involved, blah, 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 blah. And he now says he was wrong, that it would have been messy and, you know, it wouldn't have been perfect. We'd have had people die. We'd have had all kinds of messes and some things would have had to shut down just because of people dying or people couldn't come to work. But in the long run, it would have been better. It would have been yeah. better to just let it play out the way it was going to play out rather than try to, you know, push it this way, nudge it that way, because that just does not seem to have worked.
2: Right, yeah, agreed. And just, uh, you know, I wanted to enjoy that clip that we just played, but it just, the two of them yelling and talking over each other, and nobody finishes their point. I wish they would just, like, Rand Paul goes for 60 seconds. Fauci responds for 60 seconds. Then Rand Paul, and they go back and forth a minute each for, like, seven or eight minutes each. Make it a debate back and forth. That would give the people something to... To think about, to contemplate, figure out, wow, I actually think Fauci won that round or whatever. Instead, what that what we just heard yielded
4: nothing. It did no one any good. I think they should MMA fight and maybe give the money to charity. I, it's a different idea. I don't know if that's fair. Fauci's a lot older and smaller, I think, than Rand Paul.
2: He is not a big man. No, no.
4: Although we all know Rand Paul's weakness. You wait till he's mowing the lawn when he's got his back turned. You can bring him down. We've seen it. You You, you know the playbook.
2: But like the Georgia Bulldogs at halftime last night, he's made adjustments. He's understood. That's where his defense is vulnerable. So, so you he's think, adjusted. So you think when he mows his lawn now, his head's
4: on a swivel? Well, he's yeah, ready. Or he's got, his knees are bent, feet at shoulder width, and his head's on a
2: swivel when he's mowing the lawn. Nobody's going to sneak up on me now. <laughs> he's got the I'm a, a road bike guy helmet on with the rear view mirror. <laughs> right. He's a smart guy.
4: Uh, Fauci had another story that I had not heard.
5: It, it, it makes a difference because, as some of you may know, just about three or four weeks ago, on December 21st, a person was arrested who was on their way from Sacramento to Washington, D.C. at a speed stop in Iowa. And they asked, the police asked him where he was going, and he was going to Washington, D.C. to kill Dr. Fauci. And they found in his car an AR 15 and multiple magazines of ammunition, because he thinks that maybe I'm killing people.
2: Anybody who would say to the cops, well, I'm on my way to D.C. to assassinate Dr. Fauci, is probably not a good example of anything.
4: No,
3: I, I
2: mean, I understand his point, and I think that's terrible. Uh, I don't yeah. want the old man shot. Yeah, and, I'm, and he was a
4: an official nobody would ever heard of his whole life, and then all of a sudden, when you find out there are people out there driving across country to kill you, it's got to be pretty shocking, but... you think if Rand Paul hadn't brought up the fact that some of your policies are not good, nobody else would have? Or or that some of your policies are killing people? Now, maybe you think it's a net win for all the suicides across the country uh, from kids that have been out of school. I don't. Maybe you do. But there are people that are being killed because of your policy. And as Rand Paul pointed out there, more people have died under Biden than died under Trump. So...
2: So what? So and, is... and certainly people are dying because of your policy of uh, subsidizing gain-of-function research at a sloppy-ass lab in Wuhan. Oh, and the dogs with and their then, eyes. And then lying about it.
4: And the dogs with the eyes. Look Google that story. Fauci oh, and the dogs Lord. with the eyes. Oh, so sickening. Uh, one more thing from Fauci. Let's hear him.
5: So I ask myself, why, why would Senator want to do this? So go to Rand Paul website, and you see... Fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. So the only thing you have politically attacked your colleagues and in a politically reprehensible way, things like the reputation. He won't defend it. No, won't argue it.
4: Here's the thing. Did Fauci score points, or does Rand Paul raise two million dollars off of that today?
1: (laughs) Yeah, thanks, thanks for plugging my site, Fauci. (laughs)
0: in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No
3: purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, A-L-L. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope.